Hi, Nancy. Hi, Shane. Hi, Liza. Hi, Shane. Hi, Nancy. Hello, everyone. Hello wow. through the little screen from our home studios. It's so nice. Home st studio is a very generous phrase. Something I'm going to take a picture of the fluorescent pink closet that I'm currently sitting in, <laughs> uh, just so folks realize the glamorness of this. I have uh, a pillow fort. Ooh, pillow mm -hmm. fort's nice. Mm -hmm. uh, I have a question. Have either of you had to, like, I'm going to say evacuate uh, or just like leave a situation that you just didn't want to be in or maybe was dangerous, like anything like that. Ooh, so open-ended. I know. Let's go with like the straight disaster. Like I was in a, a house fire once. Oh, geez. Ooh. It's while I was studying abroad in, in Austria. Um, and so it was this really old building from the like 19th century. And so they didn't, they don't really do fire alarms there again. <laughs> right? So the door uh, fit really tightly. We were just sitting there having breakfast. Someone was in the shower. Um, and, and then someone opened the door and it was just floor to ceiling smoke, right? You're like, oh, oh we should probably leave. So we dragged yeah. the person out of the shower naked, you know, and we're like going down these stone stairs. We're like, we should crawl, right? That's what they taught us in, in grade school. Get up below the smoke. So we're crawling out and we meet the like foyer bear coming up and they're like, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> what started the fire? I, I'm not sure. I think it was like a cigarette or something. It was the um, unit below us. And so it was mostly contained there. I guess all that stone just like kept it in. So they, they put it out. No problem. I think it was practically out by the time we evacuated. Wow. Oh, my gosh. And was it, was everyone OK? Everyone was or? fine. Yeah. <laughs> they were like, it was just like a, a weird thing that happened in a foreign city where you only sort of understand what's going on. Right. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, come to think of it, I had something similar in our old apartment when we had to leave for like a week. There was like a fire below us in the boiler room or something. And nothing happened, but we had to get out. You know what I mean? Like get a leave. Happened. Yeah, we stayed in the hotel for a week. But it was a little like, oh, it's a real fire. Like, you know, there's so many false alarms. And then you're like, <laughs> oh, this is real. Yeah. <laughs> Your brain it is, is kind of like, is this really happening? Yeah, exactly. I guess it is good to know, though, that that survival instinct does kick in. Like you think, oh, we were taught this stuff. We're never going to need to use it. But when that kicks in, you're like, oh, I remember something about this. And maybe I should get the heck out of here. Yeah, those drills, actually, they stick with you. <laughs> yeah. There's something to them. Welcome to the American Geophysical Union's podcast about the scientists and the methods behind the science. These are the stories you won't read in the manuscript or hear in a lecture. I'm Shane Hanlon. And I'm Nancy Bompey. And this is Third Pod from the Sun. So there's always a reason why I ask y'all silly questions. It's not just how we catch up, though I guess this is kind of how we're catching up lately. That's <laughs> But yeah, so asking about evacuation, about leaving potentially dangerous situation, and actually, Liza, maybe you can shed some light on what we're talking about today. Yeah, today we're talking about some people who had to get out of their island. Of their <laughs> island? <laughs> of their island, because their island was exploding. Oh, jeez. Um, yeah, like not great, right? kind of concerning um, when your island starts erupting. It was a volcanic island in the Greek archipelago. This was in the Bronze Age for Greece. This island is now called Santorini. It's kind of a resort island. Have you guys been there? Okay, no. No, no. I've definitely heard of it. It's definitely like a popular. cruise ship de destination. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. Oh, it's really beautiful, um, like sunken caldera that's been flooded, right? Um, oh. this, this island. At the time, it was called Thera. This was 3,600 years ago. Um, so 1600 BCE. Okay. Yeah. 
a long, pretty long time ago for us. Um, <laughs> but there were people living on the island then, the, the Therans or the Acratinis, as they're sometimes called. Um, they had like a, a city there. Um, and then apparently they left. What, what do you mean apparently? City. Well, there aren't any bodies. They're oh. a buried city. But it's not like Pompeii where there are you know, oh. bodies. So you mean they left because something happened? Something happened. The, the volcano erupted. Oh, yeah. wow. Okay. And it but buried... there's like, literally not a single body. But they don't see any bodies like caught in the eruption. Wow. So it's a mystery about they knew people were there and then they weren't there after the eruption. But what happened? So they, they think... didn't show up somewhere else, I guess. Right. That was the thing is like, it looks like they left, but where did they go? Is it like, you know, the lost city of Atlantis? They just sank beneath the waves and um, are magically living there? Probably not. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. So are you going to? Are you going to let just like leave us hanging here? Or are we going to find some answers to this? Well, we talked to somebody that could maybe have an idea or a hypothesis about my, what maybe happened to these folks after right. they paddled away from their catastrophe. I'm Krista Evans, and I am a master's student at the University of Hawaii at Manoa. And I study the precursory eruption of the late Bronze Age eruption at Santorini. So Santorini is still an active volcano. Yes. But what kind of volcano is it? So Not the lava kind. No, it is. It can be both. So you do have effusive lava type eruptions, but you can also get very explosive eruptions, which the last one was about 3,600 years ago. And it was a very big one. It's kind of considered one of the largest volcanic eruptions in the last 10,000 years at this point. Wow. How do we know that it was such a big eruption? Well, we can kind of see that. In, we're seeing ash in ice core records and just the, vol the volume that was erupted at this time and the explosive index. So... So we can see in, if we make ice cores in the Arctic, you can see the evidence yes. of this eruption. Yes. And, and they can see what it did to the island, I guess. Like, yes. What does Santorini look like today? So today, Santorini consists of five islands. Uh, you have Thera, Theresia and Asphronesi, which is remnants of one larger island. And then you have two central islands in a uh, flooded caldera ring that are more recent and have been building up from these effusive lava uh, eruptions. Okay, so you're, it's coming back up from yes. where it yes. blew itself away 3,600 years ago. Yes. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. And this island, it's in Greece, yes. in the Mediterranean. Yes. How close is it to, I don't know, Athens or something like that? Kilometers-wise, I don't know. <laughs> but ferry-wise, it's about an eight-hour ferry ride. 3,600 years ago. Who was living on this island? I mean, it's Greece, so we know there were civilizations in this area. 
Yes. So at the time, 3,600 years ago, we had the Therans living on the island, which is a culture in and of itself, separate from the Minellans, who lived on Crete, about 120 kilometers to the south. What makes them distinct when we look at their... Uh, so their boats were different, their art was different, the style of their art, and the pottery. Oh, what does the pottery look like? Have you seen it? I've seen it in the museum, but Mm -hmm. I could not describe it for you. (laughs) Something for the (laughs) archaeologist to tell you this is what's specific about, like, their particular art. Okay. Yes. But it's kind of like pottery can be a signifier, right, of a specific time period or a specific culture. And is this one way that we now identify you know, the way culture flows or who people were through this pottery? Yes, and they were actually also using the pottery to um, basically trace trading routes. Okay. Because we're also seeing Minoan pottery on Thera, so then they must have been trading with the people on Crete. Okay, so we know they were probably going back and forth and they they knew these other people, but they're, they're living here on this island and it and it has this massive eruption. So did they have warning that this was going to happen? What was it like leading up to this, this huge eruption? That is a really good question. That's what I work on. So we think that they didn't had no idea that they were living on a volcano. I mean, they probably knew what volcanoes were, but when this started to erupt and ash was falling from the sky, they were probably like, what is going on? Let's let's get out of here. Because that's what they did. They left. <laughs> so maybe made the right choice. Uh, probably. <laughs> maybe we need to step back for a minute. What kinds of warnings might volcanoes give us? Or not? So they can give us several different types of warnings. So you have earthquakes. Um, you can have minor volcanic eruptions, ground deformation, uh, changes in geothermal systems, so like hot springs could get hotter, a significant gas emission increase. Those are the, those are the major ones. Okay, so like you might see the land like coming up, moving up or sinking yes. and that and if you see that happening, you're kind of like, what? what's yes. happening? The ground is changing, or definitely if something's falling out of the sky, that's going to be probably pretty alarming, rumbling. Yes. Yeah, okay. So, And, and you think that this is something that um, Therans were yeah. experiencing. Yes. How do we know that they left? Uh, so we can see that at the archaeological site of Akrotiri, which is located on the southern peninsula of Thera. And this is a Bronze Age settlement. Yes. What are the characteristics of that? Like, what kind of buildings do they have? What kind of artifacts? So they have three to four-story buildings. I mean, they are stunning. They're significant. They, like, I remember walking into that archaeological site for the first time two years ago and going, my mind was just blown. It's like there's a city there that was there. Was it buried? Yes, so it's it was buried under several meters of tephra and ash. And tephra is? Uh, pumice. Okay. And there are these buildings, and but you said notably not 
bodies. Yes. So not like Pompeii where we see people perished in their homes or in the streets. Correct. Okay. Kind of in contrast to that. Just very in contrast. So they must have gotten out of there. Originally when it was first starting to be excavated, archaeologists had associated with all of this with uh, earthquake activity and that being more of the precursory for the eruption and that's why they left. But we're now arguing that they had to be very familiar with earthquakes. Oh, because you think there were earthquakes in the region? Yes, because uh, between the Middle Bronze Age and the Late Bronze Age, which was about several centuries prior to the eruption, there was what we call a seismic destruction level found both on Santorini and on Crete that marks that cultural transition. Oh, so you see it. You see a change in the culture at the same time as you see evidence that yes. there had been earthquakes or there was damage to their buildings or, or to the <laughs> surrounding environment? Yes. Wow. That's so interesting that you can still see that 3,600 years later. Yeah, well, it's actually preserved in the archaeological records. So, like, all their buildings were completely destroyed. And instead of kind of, instead of cleaning everything out, they just rebuilt on top of the rubble. So where do the people go? <laughs> Uh, that's a good question. We're not exactly sure because we don't see an influx of people coming in at the, the time of the eruption on Crete, nor do we see their art or their craft. Like we were saying about the pottery, yes, it's not showing up. Yes, it's just not showing up on Crete or any other nearby islands. So the question of where did they go still remains. However, we have a slight theory behind where they may have gone. Okay. I want to hear about this theory then. Yeah, I want to know about this theory. Where did these people go? Yeah, seriously, where did they go? So after this precursory eruption, a small group of people came back and started to clean up. We see this because at the site, there was a pile of rubble that had building debris and layers one through three of the precursory. So there's four pulses of the precursory. So it's kind of like the volcano is like spitting out this yes. pumice, pumice and things. And, and you can see distinct layers of that. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So all of this is like swept up in a corner. And then we have the fourth pulse of the precursory that blankets this pile of debris and rubble. And so they got out of there again. They're like, oh, it's not over. It's this not maybe over. looks worse. Like, uh-oh. Um, and pulse four then quickly transitions into the first phase of the main Plinian eruption. So now we have a nice, sustained Plinian column. And a Plinian column is what? Tell me about that. So a Plinian column is a uh, column of ash and gas that is just going straight up into the air. And it eventually reaches what we call buoyancy. 
And when will travel? Will blow this plume in the direction of the wind, basically, mm-hmm. obviously. Uh, and you have the tephra and ash falling out of this plume. So, being an island, you have pumice rafts forming because pumice is very light, so it floats on water. Oh, it's this rock that almost looks and like styrofoam. This yes, stuff. so it's full, it's, it's full of full of holes, very bubbly. So it actually floats like styrofoam. So it floats. That must be interesting to see, and uh, you know, maybe scary if it's right where you are. And it's just yeah. so like big masses of this stuff just floating on the ocean. Yes. So here we have the pumice rafts, and these people have to get away in boats. What kind of boats do they have? Are these sailboats? Are they more like canoes? So they're not quite probably similar to canoes. They're paddling. Okay. So they've got... Human power, then. Yeah. So it's all human power. You don't have the technology for engines and things like that. So it's all of them paddling away. And how far is Crete from Santorini? It is 120 kilometers south. That's a long ways to paddle. Yes. Like, so you can't see it on the horizon. It's like you're heading out into the ocean. Well, you can actually see it on the horizon on a nice, okay. clear, pristine winter day. Okay. From what I've been told, <laughs> I've never been able to see it, but I've never been there in the winter either. So, But they'd been trading, so they knew that Crete was out there. Yes. They could escape somewhere. Yes. And you and think they did this by boat. Yes. There are other nearby islands that you can also see from the island, but it, they would have had to go around the eruption in order to get there since they're on the southern coast. So the most obvious way to go is south. Okay. Okay. So they get in their boats. They're paddling away. This terrifying mm-hmm. cloud is coming up behind them as they try to leave. Yes. And uh, there's actually a book out there by Birdbank who estimated that they can only paddle at about 1.7 to 2.3 kilometers per hour. So, and that's with pristine conditions. Yeah, it probably depends a little on like, is the tide in your favor? And and then there's that, and now, but now you're also paddling through these pumice rafts. Right. That's gonna make it a lot harder (laughs) to paddle through. I mean, even in the 1883 eruption of Krakatoa, we can see that ships that are motor-powered are struggling to sail through these. Floating rocks. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Uh, So paddling through pumice rafts. And then about, we use the higher end. So about eight hours later, this eruption is transitioning into phase two. So in phase two, we get destabilization of this nice Plinian column, and it collapses, creating a whole series of pyroclastic density currents. And describe a pyroclastic density current. What does that look like? So think Mount St. Helens. Mm-hmm. It's this big cloud of ash and gas 
flowing at a very high speed and it's hot it's not it's not a cool temperature like a landslide but it's similar to a landslide but you got hot ash moving at a very high speed typically follows topography but it can jump river valleys if it's moving fast enough and these things are going hundreds of miles per hour yes you can't outrun it no you can't even get away in a car probably no yeah you just need to not be in front of one of these things exactly okay you don't want to be anywhere near it and that um, was what happened at Mount St. Helens really dramatically, <laughs> right? That it yes. blew out the side and then these pyroclastic density flows came over the sides of the yes. next ridge. And you also have debris flows that occurred with Mount St. Helens. And yeah. But it's how big was this um, Santorini eruption compared to something like Mount St. Helens? Uh, it was much bigger. So I'm not sure what Mount St. Helens was off the top of my head, but Santorini has a volcanic explosivity index of about 7.2. 7.2 sounds big to me, but I, that's, that's actually pretty big, right? Like scientifically. Yes. So she's talking about this volcanic explosivity index, which was a way that people devised to try to compare different volcanic eruptions, you know, their relative strength and power and how much. And so they base it on how much stuff comes out of the volcano and mm-hmm. like how high it goes into the stratosphere, um, how long it goes on for to try to like give an idea of how big it was, right? Mm-hmm. How and, and the biggest ones that they have measured um, are eight. So oh, okay. Seven oh, wow. is so big, is, right? Yeah. Oh, and this is a logarithmic scale too. So you know, like seven is ten times bigger than six, and a hundred times bigger than five. Um, like so. how they measure earthquakes. Yeah, like the Richter oh, scale. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So like uh, Mount St. Helens was the five. Oh. And yeah, and the eighteen eighty three eruption of Krakatoa that was a six. Oh so, wow! So this is <laughs> yeah. Huge. So it's big. Yeah. You know, the ones that were eights were like the Yellowstone super volcano, like mm-hmm, hundreds of thousands mm-hmm. of years ago, right? Um, not within experience of, of our lifetimes or anyone that we know. Um, and so seven is big. We can huh. establish that. Super colossal. That's impressive. Super, super colossal. I like term, that. Right? A technical term. technical term. Yeah. Super colossal. All right. That sounds legit. Yeah. Okay, so it's these pyroclastic density currents are now flowing down the side of the mountain. Yes. And but they've left the mountain. But they're 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 paddling away. They left the island. So as of now, they're fine. (laughs) But we know from the 1883 eruption at Krakatau, and we just actually recently saw this at uh, Shrimboli back Mm. in July or August, where pyroclastic density currents can travel across water. We get this from, we know this from eyewitness accounts at Krakatau, and we have video of it at Stromboli. Because, oh, they kind of look like they're moving like water. They're actually ash and gas and superheated gases. That's terrifying. Yes. And moving at a very high speed. But we also have the pumice rafts that help this pyroclastic density current stay above the water and travel at a very high speed because 
I mean, this is something that I kind of want to look into a little bit more is how do pyroclastic density currents interact with ocean water? And then how does pumice rafts affect this interaction? And does the thickness of those pumice rafts have in- inhibit or enhance the movement of these things? So are people from Ecotini, they're not safe then? They're no, paddling away. They're paddling away, and now they have this pyroclastic density current coming after them. <laughs> oh, that's terrifying. Okay, so you were saying they were going, what, like one to two kilometers per hour, maybe? Yes. How? And they've had eight hours. They've only made it like maybe eight to ten kilometers away. How far did they get? It, it, not very far, I think. If I remember off the top of my head from my... Uh, research it's only about 13 14 kilometers They're, they made so this valiant effort probably they're probably moving along but this is as far as they could yeah. get under their own yeah. power and we're, we're assuming again we're assuming that they are paddling in pristine conditions so they're probably not even that far yet and the pyroclastic density flows are coming across the water at them do you think that it reached them Yes, within minutes. Because <laughs> uh, using information from Carrie et al. that calculated uh, using ship records and using when the ships heard the sound from the eruption and from when hurricane force winds hit them, they calculated the velocity of the pyroclastic density currents of the 1883 Krakatoa eruption. So I went ahead and used that information, and it's about 260 kilometers per hour. So these are things are moving real fast and probably caught up to the theorems within five minutes. So you think they were just overwhelmed by so, these? Yes. And that's the answer to the mystery Yes, They're they maybe were at the bottom of the ocean. Yes, oh. it's a little bit of a sad ending, <laughs> but very dramatic. It is very dramatic. Do, do you see evidence of these pyroclastic density flows having come across the water from that eruption? Is there evidence on the other islands? How far do they go? Um, so that is a very good question, and that is something else that I want to look at in the future. Yeah. So. How do you do go about that? Do you have to do dives, or do you go look at the other islands and look um, in the geologic record for it? So I will probably mainly do uh, look for deposits on other islands. I know we have not published this yet, but we're going to be looking at it. But we have some first phase pumice on a nearby island that we think may have come from the pumice rafts. So that also shows that pumice rafts existed and were formed. All right, so what does this tell us about the way we relate to volcanoes You know, over time? Is it just, are we the same as the Therans? We see this hazard that we live with and we're like, oh, I'm kind of used to it, but I don't know. I don't know what I'm asking here. Like, <laughs> when you think about comparing their reaction, I guess, to say the way the people in Pompeii and Herculaneum reacted to Vesuvius, you know, 1500 years later. Yeah, that's a good question. And that's a very interesting topic for me because 
granted, the Pompeians didn't really have the warning light they did at Santorini, but yet they were still ignoring some of the signals like earthquakes and they had obvious ground deformation. And we see that in their aqueduct system because it kept breaking. Because water's got to flow down hill in the aqueduct, right? So if it's lifting up or dropping, then it doesn't, it's not flat anymore. Exactly. Uh, So the system keeps breaking, but they keep rebuilding it, not kind of thinking, why does this keep breaking? Like, maybe we should look into this a little bit, but instead they're building this, their pipes deeper underground instead. Oh, thinking maybe this will fix the problem. But they didn't have the venting like we did see at Santorini. So there wasn't a precursor eruption. And so putting all of that together, they just didn't know how to respond. It's hard to like leave your home. Yeah. I mean, we even see that now when there's eruptions, right? You have to persuade people that it's really something that they have to leave or and you can't be sure exactly when it's going to happen there's this threat <laughs> out there it could erupt i'm not exactly sure when and or how but you might be in the path of it yes yeah so next you're going to be looking at more of like the pyroclastic density flows and where they went looking for evidence of those yes that yeah. is my goal <laughs> do you want to see a volcano erupt yes <laughs> <laughs> As an explosive physical volcanologist, yes, I do. (laughs) I can't imagine being on a raft or a boat or whatever it is and uh, seeing a pyroclastic flow coming towards me, or I guess at least what what the current hypothesis is now, right? Yeah. It's like, like horror movie level. Oh my gosh, it is. Like, and they almost they they made the right choice, you know. They left. Yeah. They they almost made it. Yeah, but I guess it. I mean, this is thirty six hundred years ago. There's still. I mean, they ultimately made the right choice, right? But like hemmed and hawed, and but that's like this far, this much later. I mean, I don't know if I can blame them. You know what the right action is, but we still wrestle with this, right? When, when to leave is, your home? When to leave your home? The only thing you've ever known. What this is, is still, right? Yeah, this is still a question when with volcanic eruptions today. I mean, and we just we literally just talked about this a couple episodes ago in the Mount St. Helens uh, episode when there were people going in the morning of the big eruption because they wanted right. to go to their cabin, they wanted to go to their houses, and so and nothing was happening. Right, right. It, everything can change in a moment. Right. You know, sometimes it's a super colossal eruption coming and sometimes it's just a burp. All right, folks. Well, that's all from Third Pod from the Sun. Thanks so much to Liza for bringing us this story and to Krista for sharing her work with us. This episode was produced by Liza and mixed by Kayla Surrey. And you can check us out wherever you get your podcasts. Um, Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Um, And you can always find us at thirdpodfromthesun.com. Thanks all, and we'll see you next time.